1: The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Mariska's and Crest Hill,
0: Chuck's Southern Comforts Cafe, and by
1: Fry the Coop.
0: Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Score's hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the
1: puck. Welcome in, friends, to yet another quarantine edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago, and with me, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score and the Locked On Blackhawks Podcast, Jay. Buddy. What? Once again, there's Blackhawks news. There's always Blackhawks news, damn it. Yeah, I know, right? I was really <laughs> worried we were going to have absolutely nothing to talk about and we would sit here twiddling our thumbs looking at each other on skype cameras but no the blackhawks are making signings and canceling marquee events and it's been just an event filled news filled week so where do we want to start man let's start I, I, I need to know where
0: do we need to start let's start with the good news first of all let's tell people how to get in touch with the podcast you can find us on twitter at madhouse pod we have a website Remember those madhousepod.com you can get every episode there we've got a link to our threadless shop links to all of our sponsors uh, tons of good stuff there on madhousepod.com email is madhousepod at gmail.com the big news for me and I think you agree is the Blackhawks top prospect Ian Mitchell defenseman from the University of Denver has signed there was some fear that he wouldn't sign a deal. There was some fear that he would just go back to free agency and sign with whoever he wanted. Nope, the Hawks got it done, signed him to a three-year deal. Here's the issue. We don't know the AAV, and we won't until hockey decides what it's going to do. So all those numbers will become more uh, clear when we have a plan as far as hockey goes. But if hockey was to start tomorrow, if Gary Bettman said, we're starting up the league right now, He could play for the Blackhawks in the next game they play. So Ian Mitchell is a Blackhawk. It's very good news. Uh, If you've not seen it, check out Scott Powers on The Athletic. Did a nice write-up on Mitchell and some really good video of Ian Mitchell's game. And I was trying to think of a comp for Ian Mitchell just sort of based on scouting reports and based on what we've seen. I said this on Locked On the other day, but if Adam Boquist is Brian Campbell, Ian Mitchell is Johnny Oduya. Probably a little bit better defensively, a really good skater too, but more defense, less offense, but definitely would be categorized as an offensive defenseman. I think that was kind of a similar, not identical, and who knows if Ian Mitchell will ever become the Adonis that Johnny Oduya is, but game style, that's sort of been the scouting report. Not going to put up huge numbers, but solid defensively, good offensively,
1: really, really strong skater. He does seem to take things very seriously on both ends of the ice. Every time I watched him playing for the pioneers, I never thought that he was any type of a liability on the defensive side of the blue line. I always thought that he was really good in terms of positioning. And it seemed like he had some really good instincts back there. So I, I, it's not like watching a guy where it's just like, Oh yeah, he can score a whole bunch, but boy, howdy, if you get past him, you are, you know, free and clear. It looks to me that he does take his responsibilities on defense very seriously. And so I can see, yeah, he's never going to be like probably a Norris trophy winning defensive guy, obviously, but I think that he definitely is going to be serviceable or maybe even a little bit better than that on the defensive side of things. And with his offensive upside at the university of Denver, he had what 10 goals, I think in his junior season with the pioneers, he, had a really good season offensively, was named first team All-American in conference. I think Ian Mitchell's logic here is if they play this season, if they resume hockey, say in June or July, I think Ian Mitchell is thinking to himself, I'll play a few games with the Blackhawks, burn a year on my ELC, and I'm one year closer to free agency. And it was obviously in the Blackhawks' interest to be flexible because it allowed them, I think, to get that deal done. So... I think it was a smart move by the Blackhawks to lock him up. I'm excited to see what Ian Mitchell can do at the NHL level, and whenever hockey resumes, whether it's this season or next, I think that he is going to be on the Blackhawks' blue line, and I'm kind of interested, Jay, where you think he's going to end up fitting in when that happens. Yeah, it's that's, that's sort of what I've been thinking about. It, it's sort of hard to determine uh, where
0: he fits in. From, from people I've talked to in and out of the organization, they say he projects as a really – is a good three or a great four. So like you said, he's not gonna be a Norris trophy type, but a, a middle pair guy for years to come. And and Nicholas Jalmerson was that. Now they're different players, but that that's sort of what I'm saying. Like no one really in the Hawks prime, Jalmerson was their three or four defensemen all the time. And having that consistency, someone you can depend on to play that way, uh year after year after year, that's a good thing. And if he gets if he's better than that, I think it'll be a bit of a surprise But to have a guy like we think of number three, number four defenseman as it is right now in the Blackhawks is like, okay, well, that's kind of a take it or leave it guy, right? No, I don't think that's the case with Ian Mitchell. I think that he is a legit prospect. People really like him. Uh, They like the way he projects. But I think I would just temper expectations as to he's probably not an all star type player. You know, I, I think he's he's really, really solid, but but not an all star by any means. And he is a left side defenseman. Mm-hmm. So that's going to be, uh, you know, uh, he's a right-handed shot left side defenseman. So that's going to be, uh, that will, that will, what am I trying to say? That'll value into where he plays on the ice. But we've seen, you know, Jeremy Cowan has moved guys to the other sides and some guys have had success that way. So we'll see. I'm just really interested, first of all, to get hockey back at all, uh, but second to see Ian Mitchell and how he develops um, because this was sort of the unanswered question. Like, yeah, you know. There's Carlson and there's Bodan, but without Mitchell, I don't feel great about the young core. Now, all of a sudden, that four of Boquist, Mitchell, Bodan, and Carlson, all of a sudden you've got a pretty good young group of defensemen.
1: Yeah, and I mean, you also have guys like Alec Regula who have not come up to the big leagues yet, and like you you did mention Lucas Carlson. We don't exactly know what he's going to bring to the table he's still a pretty you know fresh face all things considered and yeah i'm really excited to see nicholas bodan as well like that that entire group like it went from being a severe liability for the blackhawks and i'm not saying that they've like you know turned some corner and they're gonna have this stellar defense but boy howdy do they have they have a really good crop of prospects on that blue line and they have a lot of options and a lot of different places that they can plug these guys in and i think that what for a while now has been a definite weakness of the Blackhawks on the blue line. It's slowly becoming something where through some development and through some good coaching, you could see they could potentially be a solid group. And if you can get a solid group back there with, you know, decent enough goaltending, obviously you're never going to have the goaltending you had with Corey Crawford and Robin Leonard earlier this season. That's not going to be realistic, but Having a defensive group with this many talented young players developing at the same time, you could potentially have a group that'll make any goaltender look better and then also take some pressure off of the offense because they're not going to have to press every single shift and try you know, to score seven or eight goals a game. I think the Blackhawks have done a really nice job of getting those types of prospects. And no, none of these guys probably projects to be a one or a two defenseman with the exception maybe Of Adam Boquist if he takes a big step forward in his development but when you have this many guys who could potentially be three four and five defensemen that takes your defense from being a weakness to being something that's pretty darn solid in my opinion
0: definitely and especially if Adam Boquist becomes the number one if he becomes a true number one all-star type defenseman then now you're talking right now now you've now you've got you talk about windows reopening, and if, if in two or three years, Boquist has elevated himself to number one level play, which remains to be seen. I think a lot of people project him to be a one or a two, but maybe not like a franchise one or two. Um, if he gets to that level, then the conversation changes, especially with Kirby Doc here. The Hawks are going to get another pretty solid draft pick and whenever the next draft happens. So things are sort of looking up, and now the question is, And we have plenty of time to answer this. We're not doing it today. But as Jeremy Cowan, the guy to develop these guys, maybe that's what they had in mind when they hired him. And that's why they're keeping him around because of his uh, skill with good players. James, let me ask you a question real quick. Yes. Did you get your stimulus check today? I did not. I did. And if you are a listener of this podcast and you got your stimulus check, it can be a really good time to support small businesses like those that support the Madhouse podcast. I want to point this out. Uh, this was uh, tweeted out yesterday from our friends at Fry the Coop, frythecoop.com. The best Nashville hot chicken you've ever had. Oaklawn, Elmhurst, uh, West—they're all over the place. You can't miss a Fry the Coop. Here, they tweeted this out. When you order from Fry the Coop, you're not just supporting us; you're also supporting over 20 awesome local businesses we work with. They get their bread from Highland Baking Company. Their towels from Mickey's Linen. Their specialty honey from Heaven's Honey Inc. Their oil disposal from Mahoney Environmental. Their donuts from Tallarico Martin Bakery. Their kitchen equipment repair by CSI Coke Service Inc. Plunkin's Pest Control. Merchandise from Dream Stitch and Marathon Sportswear. Their contractors are FHS Build General's contractors. Their new walk up windows are made by Meva Glass. Their Westtown Building Arts by Sick Fisher. It goes on and on and on. So when you help one small business, you're really helping a bunch of small businesses. So go to, if you got that stimulus check and you're in the position to spend it on something fun, spend it on something for you and your family, go support a small business. Make it Fry the Coop. Make it our friends at Triple Threat Sports. If you want to go, you know what? I've got some extra money now. I've wanted a Hawks jersey for a long time. Hit up our friend Chris at triplethreatsports.com. He'll hook you up with a Hawks jersey. There's so many options, but make sure when you have this extra dough, keep these small time sponsors, small businesses in mind because they are hurting more than anyone right now. So I just wanted to relay that message real quick. I love that tweet that Fry the Coop made because I, I, you don't really realize that James, like how many things are affected with, if one small business goes down, how many other businesses are affected, you know, because of that. And it's, it's scary. And I know these guys are all going through a hard time. So if you've got some extra dough, instead of jumping on Amazon.com and buying whatever, try to try to spend it somewhere locally. Maybe it takes a little longer, but it's going to be done right, and you're going to feel good about the purchase. All right, end of Off the Soapbox. Back to the old sports I
1: was going to say, if you don't want to talk about Jeremy Colleton today, we could talk <laughs> about something else. No, no. We, I... could, we could talk about which of these Blackhawks defensemen that they currently have is not going to be on the roster next season. Because you got to start clearing room for some of these guys, like your Ian Mitchells and your Nicholas Bodans and your Lucas Carlsons. Like, which guys on the blue line are not going to be with the Blackhawks next season? Well,
0: it, the obvious answer and the easiest answer seems like Olimata, right? Wouldn't Olimata seems like the guy who could easily be traded or bought out, mm-hmm. and without much financial damage done, you know? Correct. So, I, I think that makes the most sense I think if I had to choose a guy and as much as I like him and as much as I liked what he provided to the Blackhawks last season how much can you count on Calvin
1: DeHaan yeah that's 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 an injury risk waiting to happen every year it seems like excuse me no you're right and and how much money and how much time do you
0: want to invest in and look if he's healthy that's that's great. That's a guy you want on your team. There's no doubt about it. He makes the Blackhawks better by being on the roster. But two shoulder surgeries in a row, both of them major, both of them yep. season-ending, how much can you really rely on him? I just – I don't know. That worries me. I obviously prefer him as a defenseman to Olimata. But if you were to buy out Olimata right now uh, – you would save three point four million on the cap. Like his cap hit would only be six hundred and eighty thousand dollars, right? That is a very easy move for me to make, and I like Olimata, but that's a really easy move to make. It saves you a lot of money, and um, it opens up a spot. You do need guys that can play. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you need you. Can, I don't think you can go into day one and say, okay, our five defensemen, aside from Duncan Keith, are all kids, and Connor Murphy. So you'd have four. Are you ready to go with four kids on the, on the roster opening
1: day? I don't know. I don't know. I mean, but that's kind of what you're doing with all of these ELCs, right? Like, you gave an ELC to Nicholas Bodan. You gave one to Adam Boquist. You gave one to Lucas Carlson. You just gave one to Ian Mitchell. Alec Regula is on a cheap contract. Like, pretty clear to me that the Blackhawks are trying to go for a youth movement on that blue line. Like, just the number of guys and how quickly and adamantly they've been like, look, we're getting these guys signed to contracts. I feel like that's the direction Stan Bowman wants to go in. Like, that's just the – that, to me, is what all these moves indicate. Well, that that's great. I'm down for that. Like, I'm – if they want to go young,
0: let's do it. But it, it's – can can you go young on D and then stay veteran and forward? Mm. that's kind of the question. Like, they're not going to trade Taves and Kane. And not and having those two on a team doesn't mean you can't do some semblance of a rebuild. But that means, okay, do you trade Brandon Saad? Do you trade Zach Smith? Do you trade Ryan Carpenter? Ball. You know, and, and those are your veterans. Carpenter's 29, Smith is 32, sod is 27. But with those guys gone, what do you really have up front? That You assume a new deal for Kubalik, You assume a new deal for Strom. Right? Mm-hmm. You've got to bring it. Those are sort of the three other forwards you really trust. And Doc, of course.
1: I was going to say, if you don't bring <laughs> up Kirby Doc, yes, of course. I'm going to come to Homewood and hit you with a microphone.
0: But then you're looking at
1: Nylander, Highmore, Hagel. Hey, they just signed Highmore to an extension. Clearly, they've got some visions for him for next season. Well, and they just, re-signed, or they
0: just signed Michael Tepley as well. Um, right. So he, he's in the mix as well, but he's only 18, so it's hard to see him jumping into things right away. Evan Barrett also signed to an entry-level deal. Yes, and he's got uh, – he's another uh, – he's not a uh, a young – he's not, like, 18. I'm looking up how old he is right now. Why is he not on their uh, – there he is. He's 21 right now. Right. So he's another guy you could sort of pencil in it forward. But we've not seen these guys play yet. Yeah. But, if you, but again, if they're just going to say, we're going young, we're going to keep – The core veterans of Keith, uh, yeah, Keith Kane and Taves, and go young elsewhere? All right. I I guess that's what you have to do. It's just not a full rebuild that way. What about the elephant in the room? What about Brent Seabrook? Well, that's what we need to find out is, is this guy going to play hockey anymore? And my gut, and just based on conversations I've had, tell me that, yes, he's going
1: to come back, and yes, he's going to play. So... I don't know. I and I, Is it too soon to nickname him the Tragically Hip since he had two uh, hip surgeries? I like it. Okay. I don't think it's too soon. I think he's doing fine. He probably, Sounds good to me. I would bet that Brent Seabrook feels better now than he's felt
0: in a really long
1: time. Oh, I guarantee that. Yeah, like fixing both hips and the shoulder, I think it was. Oh, yeah, that dude, he feels like a new man, probably. I, I'm interested to see if he comes back,
0: what he looks like. Could you... Is there somewhere in your mind, James, that says, like, well, he's had these surgeries, and the surgeries were legit. I mean, a guy with that many miles on him is going to have some nagging stuff. Can you get yourself to a place where you'd say maybe there's a little bit of a boost to his game where he gets a step back that he maybe lost over the last year or two because of these injuries?
1: Well, I mean, we discussed it a million times. What's the thing that Brent Seabrook has that has enabled him to stay as a consistent part of the Blackhawks top six even as he's slowed down? That brain of his still works. yeah, like it's mm-hmm. he still is such a smart player and no, he can't always execute what he knows that he needs to do. But that dude with his leadership and his just hockey i q is just off the charts a, I think gonna be a great coach someday. and b, I think that he can, if he can get a step back, which two hip surgeries, I think there is a good chance he's probably going to be a bit quicker than he's been the last couple of seasons. I could see him being a serviceable five or a six if you want to have him on the team for you know veteran depth or whatever, like you said, you don't want to go full, young, full, everybody like 20 years of age or younger, basically. I could see that easily. That's really tough to do on D is to go that young because just think about Adam Boquist,
0: who we all really like, but there were mighty struggles from him this year at times. And and he is the best of the of the young defensemen you have. He is the best. He has the highest ceiling, etc. So if he struggles, you know, multiply that to Ian Mitchell and to Lucas Carlson and to Bodan and all those guys. That's a really tough sell. So yeah, if Seabrook can come back and provide solid number five or six defense, cool but you still have the issue of the contract. And th- this leads me to my question, James. Let me ask you this. Is there a way to gracefully, let's say when this is all over, every NHL team is granted a buyout, a consequence-free buyout. You can buy out a player. Is there a way the Hawks could gracefully buy out Brent Seabrook and not, you know, because th- that matters. You know, they're not. it's not just, I said this on Locked On, it's not just like, hit X to cut Brent Seabrook, there are ripple effects to that. With the team, with him, etc. they probably want a nice clean break from him if they can get it. Is buying him out in any way an option for you? Do you think they'll do it? Do you think they're, they're willing to do it? And how can they make it nice and clean?
1: I, I, to me, I think it all depends on how they approach him about it. I think that if he still really wants to play, I don't think there is going to be a way that, you can make that completely clean. You can say all the right things about the impact that he's had on the team over the years. They are going to allow him to seek a new opportunity elsewhere, however you want to phrase it. But I think if he is like at all, like unsure about coming back, I think that obviously it would be super clean and super easy to do that. Obviously make him immediately an ambassador or assistant coach or whatever you would want to do. And I think that would work perfectly. But I also think that if he still wants to play, I just I don't see that being a clean breakup, and it's not going to be like you know super acrimonious. Hockey's a business; we all get it. Brent's still going to get his money, that kind of thing. I think that I I just think at the end of the day, if he still wants to play, there's no way to do that completely cleanly. But if he doesn't, then you make him an assistant coach, an ambassador. Basically, you let him kind of dictate the terms on how he wants to go out and what he wants to do next. I think that. That's the only way you could potentially make that a clean break.
0: Just playing devil's advocate here, and I know there's probably someone listening in their car or wherever asking this question to themselves. Would you David Ross, Brent Seabrook, and just be like, you're the coach. You're the head coach. As soon as you're ready to fire Collin, you move Brent Seabrook into the head coach role. I think it's really unlikely just based on the way hockey works in general. But if you were to give him – a really veteran coaching staff, like maybe you keep Mark Crawford alongside to be assistant head coach or whatever. Could you see Seabrook moving into that role? I know his hockey brain is capable of it, but that doesn't mean he's able to coach it and able to explain it to other people. Could you see that like in a fantasy world of the David Ross treatment for Brent Seabrook?
1: Is that what you would want though? Would you rather have Brent Seabrook than another more veteran coach? I want the Blackhawks to hire the best coach available. That's what I want them to do. I don't care who it
0: is. I've never been one who's like, he's an old hawk, so he gets what it means to be to wear the Indian head. I don't care about that stuff. <laughs> like I don't care that Scott Darling's from Lamont. Keep the puck out of the net. That's what matters to me. I don't care if you're from Cuba. If you can stop the puck, you stop the puck. But um, I just wonder. I think it's fun to think about. It's like a fun thought exercise of it's sort of unprecedented in hockey where a guy would just retire and be named a coach. Wing. I'm trying to think. How quickly after Gretzky retired – was he the Coyotes coach? There was a few years there. I between, feel like it was
1: like four or five years.
0: Yeah. And he was not good at it because he's like, just do what I do. Well, Wayne, uh, no one can do that because you're Wayne Evan Gretzky.
1: <laughs> it's I'm honestly shocked he hasn't tried coaching again.
0: I th- He probably realized he couldn't do it. Like when you're that good at something, right?
1: Okay. How, Michael how Jordan probably has not realized that he's a bad GM and yet he keeps doing it. But GM, like GMing and coaching are different. Like, Wayne Gretzky can look
0: down from a booth and say, that guy's good, but he can't walk down and tell Daniel Carcillo how to be good at Well, clearly healthy. he
1: can't because his team stinks
0: or stunk when he was in there. Yeah, because, yeah, I think it's tough for a guy who's that much better than anyone who's ever played the game to just be like, this is how you do it. That's why I think Quenville was so good at it because it's part of why he was, obviously he's got the great hockey brain and everything, but he was a middling player, and he understands that, you know how you need to have success without a ton of talent. I think that would that. But if you asked him, he would probably credit. The, hey, look, the fact that I was not the greatest hockey player in the world ultimately made me a better head coach. That's a tough question to ask, though. Hey, Joel, uh, you sort of sucked at hockey, um, or you know you were maybe a little bit uh, below average. Uh, did that help you, coach? You-, you can ask him that one, James. And when we do, when we finally uh, fifteen years from now have our Blackhawks reunion show with all the greats.
1: Oh, my God. If we ever get to interview Joel <laughs> Clenville, there are so many questions that we're going to ask him that will not be that question. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, let's take our first time out of the
0: show. Uh, when we come back, we've got to reminisce on 2010. Thursday night, they are showing Game 6 of the 2010 Stanley Cup Final. James, I want to get your memories from that night. I have some of my own as well. First, I want to tell you about our friends at Marishka's and Crest Hill. We mentioned those small businesses. They count 604 Theodore Street and Crest Hill, family owned and operated since 1933. They're doing fine. They posted a photo of a couple celebrating their anniversary at Marishka's with a little camp table and chairs eating Marishka's in the parking lot that they picked up curbside. Absolutely adorable. Go get the poor boy. Go get the chops, the seafood, all the great stuff. They are uh, open for carryout only. So go visit them. Our friend Joe Zadralovich and his family in Crest Hill at Marishka's. com or on Facebook at facebook.com slash marishkas that's m-e-r-i-c-h-k-a-s right back with more on the madhouse chicago
1: hockey podcast welcome back in friends to this edition of the madhouse chicago hockey podcast we've been talking about actual honest to goodness blackhawks news and analysis the first 20 minutes or so of this program and uh I don't know, Jay. You want to keep that going or do you want to talk about, uh, I don't know, frivolities? I'll leave that up to you. Well,
0: let's do the, let's get the bad news out of the way. We got the good news, that Ian Mitchell signing out of the way. Um, the Blackhawks have canceled, this announced on Wednesday, this year's Blackhawks convention. That was scheduled for July 24th through the 26th. It was to be the 13th annual Blackhawks convention and uh, they pulled the plug on it. And, um, you know, probably for the better. We don't know what the world's going to look like in Chicago or in the on the planet, truthfully, in July. But I think just logistically, it's hard for the Hawks to look that far ahead and say, "Yeah, let's go ha- go ahead with this." Thinking about first of all, they've lost a lot of money. I know no one feels bad for the Words family; they are billionaires. They can afford to take a loss, et cetera. But they've lost a lot of revenue through this thing. Um, and to invest the money it would take to put on a convention that might not happen is not good business. So I think it's the wise thing to do for a lot of reasons. Most importantly, keeping people safe, keeping people healthy. But from a business standpoint, and you know that's always considered in these things,
1: has to be. Yeah,
0: they're probably covering their asses with this as well. So the convention's canceled. Um, that gives me another year, James, to finally plan our Madhouse Blackhawks convention outing that at some day
1: I will figure out. Well, I mean, there is a little bit of, uh, if you want to look at it as maybe a silver lining, maybe that means that the NHL is assuming their playoffs will still be going on at the end of July. That could be. I I mean, mean, even if it's played in arenas without fans, I know Dr. Anthony Fauci had talked about uh, if sports come back, it'll probably be without fans in the stands. I feel like even just having something like that to watch on television would be so good for us right now. Yes, And if they can get the antibody tests or whatever they need to be able to have in order to ensure that the players and coaches and staff will be safe and to do that on television, I'm a hundred percent on board with at least that, that little bit of a return to normalcy. And you know what, if the Blackhawks invention has to get canceled in order for that to happen, I guess we can all make that sacrifice this year and, then party at the Chicago Hilton next year instead.
0: Yeah. The other thing, like with something like that and with games in general, you have to trust that everyone there is doing the right thing. And that is an impossible risk to take. If you're going to let 23,000 people into the United Center and one of them comes in with with the virus, then a lot of people are going to get sick. And it gets us right back to where we started from. So, by the way, today on Twitch, I was watching the Chinese Baseball League. Mm-hmm. They're playing in empty stadiums, and they've got music piped in. They actually have, like, piped in chants because the fans at the Chinese baseball games have, like, songs, like, a you know, like Premier League. That's being piped in, and they have cheerleaders dancing on the dugouts <laughs> in, in masks but the games are televised and they are playing baseball and I watch it and I didn't know any of the players or anything about the teams, but it was baseball and it was live and I was in and if major league baseball or the NHL do that. I am fully in. And part of me is somewhat interested in seeing the spectacle of an empty ballpark. Remember when the uh, Sox and Orioles played in an empty stadium because of the Baltimore riots, how yep. unique that was. I'll never forget that. That was like, such a surreal experience, and they'll find a way to produce it up, and if they do move these games to smaller stadiums, it probably won't seem as weird, right? It's one thing to be in an empty Wrigley field, but if they're going to do the thing where they play only in Arizona and only in Florida, or all hockey games are played in one arena or two arenas. Two arenas are, in North Dakota or whatever they end up right, doing. Then it won't. maybe it won't feel as weird. But uh, I I, lo- I would look forward to like hearing the players banter and yell and I don't know I think I- I'm very interested to see how these leagues will come up with making the game entertaining without an audience without a without an in person crowd that that to me will be fascinating it's just like SNL this weekend where they did it all you know via Zoom or whatever I thought it was really cool that's something I'll remember forever so yeah if they can find a safe way to do this and you mentioned it Dr Fauci seemed to think that uh, you know if if enough progress is made and, and you take these steps that maybe just maybe it could happen. If, if the experts think it's safe, then I am down and I will watch every moment.
1: I just, yeah. I mean, I want sports back as badly as anybody else, but I also am very cognizant of the fact that they're going to have to do it in a very, I think limited way, at least to start with, but you know what? That's, what's so great about HGTV. Yeah, Like they, the games are going <laughs> to look great. And the the important thing is there will be sports on television. That, to me, will feel at least somewhat normal, and I think that would really help improve the psyche of a lot of people who have been obviously struggling with the drastic changes that have been kind of forced upon us by this virus. And I'm I'm 100% on board with it, like you said. If experts, you know, deem it safe, and as long as it's not – taking away resources from anybody else to get tested or get treated for this virus. That's, that's the other thing
0: is how can, you know, a sports league or a league say, Oh yeah, we're going to test all of our players every week when the average American can't get a test yet. That's, that's, you know, and maybe they say, well, you know, for the, and they'll find a way to spin it. They'll say, you know, Oh, for the good of the mindset of the nation, we need to bring sports back. And it takes priority for that reason. And they'll shoehorn it through and everyone will be frustrated and they'll forget about it. But uh, hopefully all those considerations are made before any any big resumption of sports happens. Um, speaking of coping with life without sports, uh, before I, we get into remembering Game 6 of the 2010 Stanley Cup Finals, I want to tell you about our final, not in any particular order, but our friends at Chuck Southern Comforts Café. Burbank and Darien. Yep. They too are open for curbside pickup. Call them up, place your order, get some of the best barbecue, Mexican, Cajun food you've ever had. I still got to go try that damn chicken sandwich. The, they made their own version of the Popeye's chicken sandwich, which I assure you is probably 50 times better than the Popeye's sandwich. And that is saying something. Go visit our friends at Chuck's Southern Conference Cafe, chuckscafe.com. Check out their menu and their specials before you call. Cause I'm sure they may be working with a limited menu, and different specials based on the curbside pickup. But go visit our friends at Chuck's Cafe in Burbank and in Darien. So, James, Thursday night, game six of the 2010 Stanley Cup final is on. We all know what happened there. Patrick Kane won the game in overtime. I have a very unique story about that night watching that game. I want to get your memories of the game, too. Where were you when game six happened? And uh, tell tell me what you remember most about that night.
1: Um, I was at home. I was uh, hanging out with a bunch of friends at my old uh, house that we had out in Aroma Park, Illinois. I don't know how many people know where that small little hamlet is. It's uh, known as, th- formerly known as Stinktown. <laughs> they changed it to Ar- Ar- Aroma Park. For <laughs> <laughs> Yep, a little, little bit <laughs> south of A and Kankakee, kind of small community. That does play into my memories of the evening for reasons that will soon be clear. Um, obviously, watched the game with a lot of friends. I was writing for the hockey writers at the time, so I was camped out at my desk waiting to make a victory b- victory or a loss story live. But the one thing that the one thing for sure that I'm always going to remember is the the tension that I felt, not just because the Blackhawks were potentially going to win the Stanley Cup for the first time in 50 years. My wedding would have been the same night as game seven of that series. (laughs) So if the Blackhawks had lost that game, our wedding would have happened. And then we all would have been in the bar watching game seven of the Stanley Cup final. Instead, we got to celebrate them winning the cup. Obviously, on the Friday night of our wedding, we had we came out to Chelsea Dagger. We wore Blackhawks jerseys. It was a nice frivolity filled good time. And it could have been really bad if they hadn't won game six. And the other reason that I remember it and the reason that I mentioned how uh, small the community was that we were living in at the time is because my friend Sean Wright decided that it would be a good idea to go streaking after they won. It's always a good idea. And, yeah, it's always a good idea. And the neighbors were really cool about it for some odd reason, but... (laughs) Let, yeah, I, I will never forget that, him running naked through the streets of a very small town. Well, maybe Sean's a good-looking guy, and people are happy to see
0: someone like him running around. Sean the, is the certainly
1: beach. a good-looking guy, but that's not what we're here to discuss.
0: Well, there you go. Uh, so I wonder, had Game 7 occurred, how would uh, your wife, Laura, have felt if,
1: uh, if you spent most of your wedding watching the Hawks? I'm guessing that she probably would have been stealing glances at the television more than just about anybody.
0: That's awesome. See, that means you yeah, she's right a pretty person. damn
1: big Blackhawks fan, that Laura Naboe. Well, you married the right person then. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. So my story is,
0: uh, actually, Addie was – a couple weeks ago I did uh, the game three of the Western Conference final against the Sharks on Hot Mike, and that was a special night for me because that's the night my daughter was born. Shortly after that game ended – Addie was born, so that game ended on uh, May 21st. Addie was born on May 22nd in the early morning. Um, So Addie, when game six happened, was a couple weeks old, and it was actually two days after her due date that the Hawks won the Stanley Cup. So we had been, I'd been, you know, working from home or, or at home from work, but still doing the postgame shows on the score through that whole thing. And days... And hours and minutes, when you have a newborn, as everyone knows, that has a kid, just sort of all sort of fade into oblivion. You don't really know where or when you are. So it's the night of game six. It's the morning of game six, rather. I wake up with, I've got a fever. I've got nausea. I take a shower. I almost pass out in the shower. So I call my boss, like, look, this is... What could be the biggest night of my career, but I'm barely alive. I'm barely making it. He's like, you got to come in. You have to not like forcing me, but like, we need like, come on, this is big. If there's any way you can do it, do it. I'm like, all right. So spend the rest of the day sleeping, whatever, getting the shower at like 4 PM. Same thing. I'm like le- leaning on the shower wall, just trying to stay awake, trying to stay alive. So finally I muster enough energy to go in Me and Matt Abaticola are going to be on the air after the game, whatever happens, on 670 the score. So we're watching the game, stressful, gets to overtime, that's, you know, I got to wait through the intermission, whatever. And then the Hawks win, and I look at Matt and I'm like, did they, is that it? Like, did they win? Because it was such an anticlimactic moment, coupled with the fact that as soon as the game ended, I had to go on the air. So it's like, wait, did they just win? I think so. So we're looking at each other and we're like halfway between where we're watching the game and the on-air studio trying to decide, like, should we go in there now or do we wait? So we go in there and the entire night is a total blur. And I just remember, like, at some point I looked up at the screen and I saw Brent Seabrook holding the Stanley Cup and I just lost it. Like, I sort of broke down because I was so exhausted from being sick, so exhausted from everything that had happened in my life over the last few weeks. And then like just sort of imagining like how hope and I had our entire relationship built going to Hawks games together. That's like how we fell in love was going to games and, and spending our, using our student ID to get $8 tickets and living through the crap of the Kyle Calder era and all that stuff. So to have over the course of three weeks, like my daughter be born and the Hawks win the Stanley cup, like two of the biggest moments at that time of my life happening right on top of each other, on top of the fact that I was maybe 40% of my normal health. It was just too much <laughs> when I saw Seabrook lift the cup, and I was like, I just got to take a break. Like I, I got to stop for a second. I got to gather my thoughts, and I did, but like I really have no... It's like the part in old school where Will Ferrell blacks out and gives the nice speech and just <laughs> has no recollection of it after it happens. That's exactly how I felt. After that show ended, I have no idea what I said. I don't know if it was good. I don't know if it made sense, but it happened and I was there. And uh, that's a night I'll never forget. I should probably watch that game. I don't think I've watched that game again, start to finish since it happened. So no, maybe I that, haven't either for sure. Yeah. So maybe Thursday night I'll sit down and take in that entire game for the first time. It should, it'll be fun to watch that. Go uh,
1: sleep outside so you can get like super
0: feverish, and then you can like really re- yeah. relive the moment. No, I'll go to the grocery store and like lick some door handles and have some people cough on me, and I'll be I'll be fine.
1: That'll work yeah. out well.
0: I'll feel just the same I, way. I don't I did. know if you
1: can catch the uh, virus that quickly though. Oh, I'll find a way. Just for the just for the content for the podcast. That's that's a great plan. <laughs> I always like when you sacrifice your health for the good of the podcast. That's a great idea.
0: That's commitment to the bit, man. That's what it takes yeah. to be a podcaster in this in this workaday world.
1: I, I do have to uh, share one more memory of the evening at the house that night. <clears throat> Excuse me. My best man at my wedding was one of my roommates at the time, and he got so drunk that he delivered a best man speech to the bird feeder in our backyard. And I have to say, like Will Farrell's speech in old school, it was very eloquent and very great. That's amazing. At least he saved it for the night before the wedding. Right. Or a couple yeah. nights before well, the wedding. Well, then, And then the night of the wedding, he, he gave a good speech, but he uh, started uh, crying a little bit, too. He got, like, real emotional and stuff. So maybe we should have let him get drunk again. I don't know. You should have brought in a bird feeder. That, see that would have been a great idea. Why didn't I think of that at the time? You blew it. Of all the things at your wedding, that's the one thing you had to remember, and you bring, you bringing it up. a bird feeder. Yeah, that to me that was probably number six hundred and seventy-two on the list of wedding-related responsibilities, and I totally blew it. Well, you suck. What can I say? All right, buddy. I guess buddy, I have to get married again. I'm gonna let you can. I, no oh, com- I, just got, I bet I just got a death glare from my wife. She's yeah. in the other room. No
0: comment on that one. Uh, I know you've got to get to work, so let's wrap this up. James, thanks for taking some time out of your day. Uh, James and I both want to thank you guys, the listeners, for taking the time to listen to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We greatly appreciate it. We know that there's not a lot going on, but hopefully we give you you know 45 minutes of sanity a couple times a week because um, we love doing it. And uh, as long as there's hockey news being made, we will continue to do it. We're not going anywhere. So thank you for not going anywhere. We greatly appreciate it. Want to remind you all, check out madhousepod.com. You can go to our sponsors page there and navigate to any of our sponsor pages, Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's, Fry the Coop, and Chuck's. All of them have links on the website. Go click there, go explore their websites, and place an order help out these small businesses that have helped us out through all these years. So with that, we're going to wrap things up. Thanks for listening to the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. We'll talk to you very, very soon. Be safe, stay home, wash your hands, and before you know it, we'll be watching real, meaningful hockey again. Be well.
1: This might look like a normal job, but it's not. When hackers infiltrate networks and steal or destroy proprietary data, we're all at risk. Earn a master's degree in cybersecurity online at Grand Canyon University and help protect your company from cyber threats by performing vulnerability assessments and threat hunting to catch hackers. What do you think protecting your company looks like? GCU offers over 175 high-quality online programs like this one. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu.